welcome to the Cheerleading Junkie podcast. I'm Jill Markley, I'm your host, and this week I'm very excited about our guest. This is Eric Thompson, the Tumble Step. I've been following him for a while on Facebook. Uh, he's been saving my life, especially during COVID, because trying to like save money on staff and classes and stuff. And you have a fantastic social media presence with tools and tips and all of that stuff. But um, we'll get into that a little bit later. But thank you so much for being on our show today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. And what you're going to hear in the background is my children. So <laughs> and they're four in 10 months. So they are no value control. So if it gets too loud, let me know and I can go somewhere else in the house. So oh, I'm sure it's no problem. Sometimes you'll hear our dogs too. So okay, cool. I'm just making sure I just make people like just something's happening in the back. It's just that's actually my family that exists. So <laughs> So you're not just a tumble stuff on your own island, you're a whole tribe. All right, excellent. Can you give me a little bit of background information about who you are and, and how who you were as an athlete, maybe? Um, so, yeah, I get asked this often, and I remember when I first started teaching tumbling, uh, people would be like, you do what? And I'm like, because I'm a bigger guy, and I know you can't really tell because it's just my head, but I'm about 6'2", about 6'3", about 265 pounds. Wow. So when people are like, what do you do? And I'm like, I work with, I, I work, I teach people tumbling, they're like, so you don't coach football? And I'm like, no, I play <laughs> football, but I work with cheerleaders and gymnasts and things like that, but... My athletic background is in uh, football, basketball, track. And then when I got to college, um, I did college acro. And that's how I essentially transitioned into teaching tumbling, from learning tumbling myself in college. Um, and for me, well, I take that back. I actually taught myself to tumble when I was a kid. Um, I don't want to age myself too much, but in 96 for uh, the Olympics, that was the first time I had ever seen Dominique Dawes. And I had the most massive crush on Dominique Dawes. And I was like, if I get a back handspring, she'll be my girlfriend. So I went downstairs and I taught myself how to flip in my mom's living room while she was at work, of course, because my mom would have never let me do that if she was at home. And that was with the jerk. That's when I started my journey of tumbling. So that was in, I had to be 11 in 96. Oh, wow. That's. That's amazing. That's a cute story. Um, so you said that you kind of learned it in college. So that's when you first started getting maybe more professional coaching. Yeah. So my coach name is Ben Johnson. Uh, when we got to school, I was really raw. Like I could do like flips. I was athletic, but technically a lot technical. Ooh, terrible. Head thrown, feet apart. So essentially, what he did was he introduced me to drills. Up until that point, it was essentially watching people do things and then recreating what I saw. When I met him, he introduced into my life the idea of drills and progressions and things like that. So I was being classically taught from him because he's an old school gymnastics acro coach. Um, and then from there is where I found or I gained a love for the steps as opposed to just the results. So that's what I would say. Oh, yeah, that's really interesting. I know. Um kind of to follow that thread is like I find as a cheerleading coach that a lot of um, kids that come to us that are a little bit older that don't have that progressional background or anything it's kind of hard to even to get to like the yeah. you know like the twisting skills and stuff because it's like we didn't mm -hmm. learn the progressions I've got you know girls who can do pulls for example that can't do a front walkover 
important, you know. I, it's, it's very rare that you find an athlete who's letting go of the world who can still do a back walk. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that way. Um, so, so I know that you go around as like a, a coach teaching classes and things like that, but have you, you know, like coached a competitive gymnastics team or a competitive cheerleading team on your own, or are you sort of more like a, you know, plug-in resource for those coaches? So essentially what happened was I wasn't really super familiar with cheerleading as a sport. Um, just because where I'm from, I'm originally from Kansas City, Missouri. That's why I had my chief hat on. Um, you know, you, you guys saw the Super Bowl anyways. Uh, we're Brady people, so. <laughs> I can't lie. I, I had to just give it up. I'm like, they did what they were supposed to do. They had a really good game plan. And I, I can take a loss. Just hope I hope we learn from it. I think we were a little bit arrogant and cocky. I think we got exposed. But that's another story for another time. Um, so I wasn't really familiar with the the, the world of cheerleading at all. I, I had no idea about it. If you would have asked me about it maybe 20 years ago, I probably would have had the same idea that, or the same uh, perception of it as a lot of people have. That it's like almost like a secondary sport as opposed to the dynamic sport that it is. Um, and I remember being in college, and we were at a we were at practice. Me and my teammates, of course, but uh, somebody uh, a guy came in and just essentially asked my coach, "Do you have anybody who's interested in teaching tumbling?" In college, I had no money. I, my first thing, do you get paid to do it? And he was like, "Yeah." I was like, "I'll be there tomorrow." I, don't, I didn't care who was with. And then it turned out that it was in cheer, and that was kind of how I started. And then from there. You go to different places. So essentially when I started, I wasn't my own business. I kind of worked with other people and they, it was almost like a, like a temp service. Like they would find and then say, hey, I know somebody who's looking for work. You go there and then you work there as long as you can or if something until something happens or they have no longer have a need for you, do it that way. So I coached uh, at Dream All-Stars. At one point I coached their world's team. Um, I've coached a couple of other teams, but for the most part, for the last mm, for maybe five or six years, I've really been tumble chef focused. But before then, I did do some um, coaching some competitive cheer teams on as well. Oh, so excellent! It's really interesting background that you have. Um, so there seems to be to me, um, from my personal experience as a, I'm a gym owner and an all star coach. Um, and I don't really know how to coach tumbling. And I feel like as I see, you know, a lot of other coaches out there today, they're all talking about, you know, they're not sure, you know, like, I mean, I know how to spot, but do I know how to correct? Do I know how to really train for the next level? Um, so what would you recommend to coaches, you know, like me, like, is it, can we get this kind of education or is it, you know, like, how do we advance our skills if you, if you could recommend a way? Um, well, I look at it the same way I looked at cheer for the most part. Like when you are in a situation where you, well, I think it's, I think, I think it's the same thing as uh, uh, when you have to, you have to get out of denial. If you're willing to accept that you don't know something, that in my opinion leaves room for you to learn that's something that you don't know. So when I first got into the cheer industry, I knew absolutely, I couldn't even count the eight counts. I remember one time I was at practice and I counted to nine or 10 or something and the kids I was being serious. He was like, he was like trying to like really like like zone zoned in, and I said five, six, seven, eight, nine. The kids lose it. They're laughing at me, but for 
me, what I what I did was I really sat back and I have these things I call uh, Tumblr notebooks. So in there, what I do is if I go to a competition, I really break down the score sheets. I really look at um, what they're asking for for USASF. I look at the scoring rubric and then I break things down. And since and since we had on Afro, we did stunting and we did pull ups, we did preps and stuff like that. I kind of had that basis. But then what I would do is I would go on and I would watch other people uh, on YouTube. Okay, like what what's hot? What are they doing? What are the grips? And then I would just practice and then come up with drills to teach that. That would be the same thing for tumbling to me, right? So if you do follow me on social networks, the way that I do things, I try to break things down in its simplest form, right? I try to break it down to a coach the same way I would break it down to a, to a child, mm-hmm. right? So I assume as if they know nothing. So for me, um, for the coaches out there, like, I don't know how to teach tumbling. I don't understand this. My suggestion for them would be, Learn about not necessarily the skill, learn about the parts of the body that's required to make the movements happen. And if you can learn that, oh, you have to arch your back in the, in the back handspring, how do you create a proper bridge? As opposed to working on just the skill itself, learn the parts and then put it back together, which makes the skill. Um, one of the things that I've been really focused on since quarantine, and I think everybody got thrown a curveball during quarantine. Um, I know. Uh, and I work with a couple other guys, uh, Tumble Doctor, Tumble Theory, and Mr. Flip. I remember us being on the phone, and I was freaking out, like absolutely freaking out when I was like, they're shutting down gyms. Yes. Like, how can I make money when the gyms are closed? And we had our, it can't believe it's a year already, but like our youngest was about to be born in April. Yeah. So I'm really freaking out, like, oh my gosh. And then... After I got past the, the, the shock, what I did was I realized that I needed to take some more time and study how to talk somebody through something as opposed to physically manipulate their bodies to do it. And that is where you study biomechanics. You take it. It's not like this information is not like you can't get, you can get a hold of it. All you have to do is Google it. Um, studying um, the biomechanics, understanding what shapes you're looking for, right? Uh, but also, what I've been telling people is, use what you have to get what you want. Use your cell phone. Mm-hmm. Like, not not to just take pictures and selfies <laughs> and jump on Snapchat. Like, actually use it. So what I told the girls to do, and the coaches, start taping skills in slow-mo from the front and from the side. And really, really study the skill and the person. And then what I would suggest you do is then you go to somebody else doing that same skill and you take them and you compare the two. What do you see in yours that you don't see in this other one? And then that allows you then to come to somebody like myself or another coach who you feel may have the answer and then you have specified questions as opposed to giving, asking vague questions where it takes you longer to get you what you actually need to know. So I do believe there's a way for coaches who don't know tumbling to learn tumbling if you are willing to put in the work, that would be my answer to that question. Sorry. That's fantastic, actually. And I, um, as a coach, like I will film an athlete, but I never considered filming like an athlete who does it flawlessly and then the athlete that doesn't and kind of trying to, I never really considered that. So I think that's a fantastic tip, actually. I'll probably try to use that one. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so with so many people stuck at home, like we talked about, um, 
I mean, it's like a lifelong skill, right? So even the athletes, if they take time off of it, they're going to start to have some trouble getting back into it. So like, how do they continue to develop their skills at home safely? You know, like you don't want them on their bed or right off the couch, but. Right. So essentially what, and I get a lot, like I'll do lives on Instagram. And one of the things that, um, one of the, one of my big things I decided to do during quarantine is I wanted to make myself as accessible and as visible as possible on social media, because that is where the fellows, where kids are going to be at. That's where the coaches are going to be, the parents. So I often get that, like, what can I do at home, right? Now, some people have more funds and they can purchase and they can buy mats and they can buy crash mats and things like that. But if you don't have that, you always, and I do this in the gym. Also, one of the things that I like to do with my videos is use as little equipment as possible. And the reason being is, is what if some, because there's some gyms that don't have tumble tracks. There's some gyms that don't even have tumble coaches, right? right? But one of the things that I try to do with my is get what message I try to get across in all of my videos is that strong bodies equal strong skills, right? So if I'm trying to do a skill and I'm like, I don't have access to a coach, I'm then going to focus on the person doing the skill. I'm going to make sure I'm as strong as I physically can be. I'm going to make sure I'm as flexible as I possibly can be. I'm going to make sure that I understand my body as much as possible. So even if I don't get an opportunity to tumble, when I get access to my coach again, I don't have to go over those steps of getting strong enough to do the skill. I've already taken care of that, which then expedites the process. And that would be my response. Yeah, that's fantastic. I know I'm always worried about kids like, you know, going to break their arms or their necks or something and themselves off something, you know, when they're working at home. Um, something else I notice a lot with athletes, um, and I think I've noticed a lot of questions posed in like different coaches chat rooms and stuff, is every single one of us has hit an athlete who has some kind of brain block, right? Like they, they all of a sudden can't do it. In fact, I've got one right now in my gym and, you know, she competed to standing tuck, for example, last year. And now the past few weeks, she hasn't been able to land it, period. It's some kind of brain block. How do you overcome those? Like, how do how do you coach an athlete through those problems? So for me, when it comes to uh, the blocks or whatever it is, I believe that, and I'll put it this way, I don't believe that anything in life is to be feared. I believe that it's to be understood, right? right? So if we're going to use terms like brain blocks, mental blocks, that's, we don't even know what that is, right? So that's like almost like an umbrella or a vague term that we give anything that stops you from going, right? So if we know, we know how, we know that the, in fear, you can be courageous. In the mental block, we don't know anything, right? right? So what I try to do, and I, I try to go at this um, multiple different ways, depending on the athlete. Um, what I try to do with athletes is, one, I try to appeal to their desires, okay? So what I try to do is, is find out what makes them tick. Find out what are your goals? What is it that you want? Because if you can tap into a person's want enough, the fear then becomes secondary or irrelevant if you can figure out what they want or how bad they want it. So usually what I do is when I talk to people virtually, and I've had a lot of mental block um, virtual lessons, mm -hmm. um, and what I usually do is when I, I'll start off, I'll ask them a couple of questions like, hey, do you love chili? Do you believe that you're a good tumbler? And usually from those answers, I'll get everything that I need to know about them as a person. 
if that yeah. makes sense. So then what I do is I go about uh, not diagnosing because I'm not a professional um, therapist, but what I try to do is get them to see things in a different light, right? So let's say if we're dealing with an athlete who had a mental block who fell in the tumbling pass, right? So I usually use one or two analogies. So the first analogy is I ask them, hey, do you have any younger siblings or do you have any cousins or younger cousins you've seen learn how to walk? Some of them will say, yes. I'm like, did you ever see your younger sibling fall and think to yourself, they'll never walk? And then they're like, no. I'm like, so how is tumbling any different? And then they're like, oh my gosh, I never thought about right. like that. Because a lot of it is going to be the way we perceive falling, mm -hmm. right? So then what I'll do is I'll say, let's say if you didn't fall or you just didn't go, right? Or you it didn't go the way you thought it would go. So then what I do is I use the analogy of great sport or great athletes. I'm like, okay, so you've done your tuck hundreds of times. You messed up three times. So you're telling me out of 100 times, 97 times, you were able to do it successfully. If you took that same percentage and you applied it to any other sport, you would be in the Hall of Fame for that mm -hmm. sport. Right? So like in baseball, you only have, to, only have to hit the ball three times out of ten you're one of the best hitters ever. In basketball, all you have to do is hit five out of ten shots, and you're one of the greatest shooters ever. And they're like, oh, my gosh. I never thought about that. And, and really what I'm doing is I'm trying to get people to change the way they think about making mistakes, yeah. right? Why is it that when you make one mistake, all your other successes then become null and void, mm -hmm. Right? And then from there, what I usually do is I'll then assign them tasks, right? So one of the things, one of the things I've been preaching heavily on recently is that we as coaches, and we all fall, I've fell in this before, we all fall in this. We're like, just, you can do it. You can do it. And we're like, we're saying this over and over, but tumbling is going to be a very small part of a, a cheerleader's life. And I'm sure everybody can yeah. agree on that. So we expect these athletes to somehow choose to be courageous or be brave in that small aspect, but they're not doing that in any other aspect of their lives. In my opinion, they should switch it. Instead of focusing on being courageous in tumbling, how about we focus on being courageous on the day-to-day -day and then use those findings and then apply it to our tumbling? So what I have the athletes do is say, hey, um, what I want you to do, you pick one thing a day that you dislike doing whether you're making your bed, cleaning the bathroom, whatever the case is, and you do that, you force yourself to do that so that you can train your brain to get used to doing things that you don't like doing. Same thing, I'll say, you need to find one thing that makes you uncomfortable or that you are afraid of. And some are like, well, I'm really afraid to talk in class or talk in public or speak to new people. You pick one person a week that you don't know and you just say hello to. No matter how scary it is, you force yourself to do that thing that you're terrified of. I've even brought people on my lives, on my Instagram lives, and had them read their goals out loud just for them to build confidence. I've had girls come on. I have one young lady who struggled with uh, performance anxiety. So what I had her do was, I'm like, you're going to come on my live. There's going to be hundreds of people on there. You hop on there, and then you do your jump sequence in front of them just for them to build up that confidence in and a, a larger portion of their life than just in tumbling. 
I knew that was long-winded, but that would be my response. You might have some kind of psychology, you know, psychology skills there, though. I know you said you were. I have an issue degree. Oh, that's funny. Um, okay, so another thing I wanted to know is some athletes get pushed for higher skills quickly, either by their parents or by coaches, right? So. You know, you want to compete a certain level and you need that one more tumbler. And so they're pushing them or parents want to see them on, you know, the senior elite team or whatever it is. Right? Um, and then that makes them skip over all the proper progression. So, you know, what do you think about that? And what are the consequences of doing those kinds of things to athletes? Well, for me personally, I'm 1000% against it. I believe that it has negative impacts on so many different aspects of that athlete's life. One, I believe that it burns them out, right? So you get on this level and you're essentially just there because you got forced onto it. And if you don't, or I'll put it this way, and I've seen this a lot. Like I coach uh, Tumbling at Towson University and a couple of different other um, uh, um, colleges. And I'll meet these young ladies who are like, I'm like, okay, we'll do a layout. And like, well, I've never learned a layout. I went from Tux to Fools. And I'm like, yeah, that's set up and the problem with that is is then what happens in college when they take away the they change the rules where they can't do twisting baskets unless you have three boys underneath you the highest thing you can do is a layout but you never learn to lay out on the ground and they're like hmm. or I, I see this trend too where you go from round off handspring to round off tuck which seems pretty harmless in what you're doing but the reality of that situation is if they never learn how to produce power out of a handspring from a round off, what makes you think they're going to learn how to do a two to fool? Right. A one to fool. You, you, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Well, I believe that when you force people, when you push people through um, the tumbling, they don't have the foundation to fall back on. Right? I believe that some of us have these pretty houses, but they're built on sand. And if they're built on sand, at any given moment, they can right. crumble. But when you deal with things like fear, they're like, well, I'm afraid to do my handspring. Well, do a back walkover. I never learned that. Or you say, uh, I'm afraid of my layout. Well, do a tuck. I don't really know that. Or do a handspring. I never learned that. It's like, what do you fall back on? So the idea of pushing past skills quicker means that you, one, in most cases, lose skills quicker. But when you, for me, when you, I, I don't believe that if you don't go through something to get it, you never prepared yourself to keep it. Right. Right. So your progressions, you may get the skill back. And I see this happen a lot too, where you do the skill once and then you never do it again. And the reason being is because they are skipped ahead for a skill. They never prepared their body for it, being strong enough to keep it, understanding it, things like that. If you get it fast, you probably lose it fast as well. So I'm against skipping and quickly moving past skills. Totally. Yeah, yeah me too. Um, so do you see any common challenges that coaches or athletes are facing right now? And if so, do you see, I mean, maybe not even right now, but maybe just in general too. And like, would you, do you have any creative out of the box? Like you seem to think kind of differently, right? So do you have any, any like, oh, you coaches and athletes are running into this problem. Here's a different way of looking at it or, you know, any advice like that? Well, I think right now, and I think that question is, is actually right. loaded. There's multiple layers to that question. Um, I think that right now, right. the common thing about dealing with is COVID, right? So athletes are losing, losing motivation, 
coaches are losing motivation, athletes are burnt out, and it's almost like you don't see the worth. So I'm like, why would I do it now? Like, we're not competing in person, or everything is so weird and things like that. I remember telling uh, telling somebody this, and I was like, I love what I do. Like, I absolutely love what I do. I was talking to a friend of mine, like, even after I make a million dollars, I would still coach. And, and I said, this allowed me <laughs> to get hit in the face and not care. Like, like, that to me is a part of the job. That is a part of what I love. So since I love it, I'm willing to take the kicks and the knees and the punches to the face. And I'm willing to give it everything I have that day because I love what I do. For me, this is like a relationship, right? Far after the physical love is gone, the principle of love has to be there. And I realize, I think that now in COVID, a lot of people are being tested now because all the things that they were accustomed to in the past, all the notoriety, everything running smoothly, all the things they got comfortable with have now been taken away. And now if you don't love what you do, you're essentially being put in a situation, you're, you're being put in a situation where you have to second guess, like, this is what I really want to do. And I think that's the common issue that athletes and coaches are dealing with right now. I would say for me, Starting a dream board is is probably the most important thing you probably do. Dream board or vision board. Mm-hmm. Write down what it is you want to do. Getting excited about your ideas. Um, the reason that I started recipes, I started recipes on Instagram because I knew that coaches didn't. I knew that gym, every gym couldn't um, secure a permanent tumbling. And I was like, man, I want to have an impact on the tumbling industry as a whole. How do I do that? So I made the video. I do all my videos on my phone. Every night I just put stuff together and like place and whatever. And I remember having that video in my phone for five off my first recipes in my phone for about four or five months. And I didn't post it because I was so afraid that people would, I don't know, not look at it or judge me or whatever the case may be. Um, and we as a whole have to get out of that idea that we're only willing to do those things that are in our comfort zone, right? Because now we're in a situation where everybody's uncomfortable. We're all trying to figure out what USASF is doing. We're all trying to figure out when the world's going to be, when is summit going to be, when are all these things going to be. We have to tap into that thing that for, for that reason why we fell in love with it. Why are you still doing this thing? Because you could be doing anything. I believe that a multitude of cheerleaders have the athleticism to do any sport they chose to do. So why do you choose this? Whatever that reason is, tap into that and allow that to carry you through this because the world is going to go back to some semblance of normal, right? So when that does, who will you be and how will you be prepared to dominate once that world goes back? Um, and as far as what a common thing that coaches go and athletes go through um, uh, before COVID, mm-hmm. if I'm being frank, I would probably say a lot of people feel like it's everything is so political. Not in the sense like government political, like in cheerleading in general. Like, well, if I don't have this, or if I don't have that, if I don't at this gym, if I don't have it at that gym, I can't do certain things. Mm-hmm. And I've been in those situations before. One of the things that I've told myself is. One, I don't ever want to conform to be something that I'm not. I would much rather build something 
that I feel good about, then the joint suffering has already been built. Mm-hmm. But also, if politics is going to be a part of it, every time that I go out, I want to make the opposition sweat. I want you to leave that competition and know you may have won first, but you know you didn't beat me. I want mm-hmm. you to be nervous every single time that I step on the mats. If they say that I'm going to this competition, I want you to be nervous. That, to me, is a win. But that's just me. <laughs> no, I agree with that. That's amazing. Um, just like a, a couple more small questions, but uh, I know earlier you said that you try to teach without any equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, but if like a gym is a small gym starting out or you know has a limited budget, is there any like one piece of equipment you maybe would recommend as sort of, you know, the best one to start with? Um, I believe that before we get anything else, I believe equipment, falling equipment. So uh, mats, like uh, crash mats. No matter how big they are, just crash mats, cheese mats, things they can do hamstrings down and they're, they can fall and be okay. Um, before a tumble track, for any of them, now most people get the crash mat and put it to the end of the tumble track. But I believe, and this goes back to what we talked about earlier, our relationship with falling has to change. We have to understand that being under that falling is a part of the process being okay with falling has to be something that everybody who wants to be a great tumbler has to be able to deal with if you don't get to that point then you're going to be limited in what you're willing to try because you're afraid of falling what i tell the kids um and what i work with is even when you land on your feet you're falling right the difference is you go from landing on a bigger surface to a smaller surface I would say it's almost like falling in style as opposed to falling out of control, but it's still falling. What we want to learn how to do is fall properly. So the first the first pieces of equipment that I would suggest any gym get is always going to be, because even if you're a small gym, in most cases, you're not starting off with fools. You're not starting off with a world's team. You're not doing that. So I'm trying to get equipment that is going to allow my athletes to learn how to fall on and be okay with the falling and be able to walk away from falling. So things like resis, crash mats, crash pits, cheese mats, um, sting mats, stuff like that would be where I started at. That's interesting. My dad taught judo for a lot of years, and judo is all about falling, learning how to like <laughs> roll down safely. Exactly. So, kind of interesting. Okay, so um, just a couple closing questions. Um, one of them is, I think I saw, and you can tell me if I'm delusional, but I think I saw that you would travel to gyms, right, or schools and run tumbling clinics. Is that a, was that one of the services that you offer? And are you offering it right now, even in COVID? Yeah, so essentially what happens is, yeah, you're right. You did see that. Um, we have a model, which I think may change a bit here coming soon. Um, so essentially what happens is uh, people send me messages like, hey, will you come here? Um, and in the past, I've flown out to go places and things like that. Um, when COVID hit, I stopped doing clinics altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a couple of different like privates, but I wouldn't do any clinics. I think I started doing clinics again. I think I, I stopped in 20, I think maybe March of 2020. And I started again probably here recently. Yeah, I'll say recently. So, um... And what I did was I just cut the numbers down. So I was like, hey, I'm just going to do really small clinics. So I do maxed out 10 to 15 clinics. I'll bring another coach with me. 
Um, shout out to my guys, Mr. Flip, Tumble Theory, and Tumble Doctor. Um, I'll bring them with me. And then we do intimate sessions. And I actually prefer those because they feel more like a private than you doing a 40-person clinic. Mm-hmm. And then everybody gets two turns. When you do a 10, you do a 5 to 1 ratio or 7 to 1 ratio, you can see everybody do the drills, you see everybody do the skills, and it feels like you have a better back and forth with the athletes. So I do offer the, the, the clinics right now. I would say maybe I haven't got the vaccine. Um, I probably, I'm planning on getting it in the spring-ish sometime. Um, but once I do that, I'll then uh, entertain the idea of flying somewhere. Now, I'll, if I can drive, I get a test, I drop, and then I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's pretty much it where I'm, where I'm at now. And we'll see what happens in the next month or so. Okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah, hopefully everybody gets the vaccine by, you know, May or June. That's my prayers. I, I believe I did hear that, that it will at least be available to every uh, adult American by that yeah. time. I hope so. How about um, coach education? So if, you know, if I wanted to have you come out to our gym, you know, maybe run a clinic with the kids, do you also do some kind of coach education and training that, you know, a gym could take advantage of? So absolutely. So what I usually when I talk to a gym, I let them tell me what they want. And after they tell me what they want, I tell them this is what I also offer. So I remember I flew down to Houston a couple of years ago and did a coach's clinic. Um, and I've done stuff. I do, I do them virtually now, too. So I do virtual coaches coaching, coaches private, stuff like that, and let them essentially ask me whatever it is they want to know. Um, I've had coaches have me, like, virtually come into their practice. Okay, my girls are working. I need drills for this. Okay, well, let's do this and use their equipment and go from there. Um, as far as coaches coaching go, I just let people tell me what it is they're looking for, and then I just come up with a game plan. And then, and that goes from drills, class management, how to spot, uh, pretty much everything, how to motivate, whatever the case is across the board. So, yes, I do offer coach coaching as well. Um, just depends on, because some people don't feel like they need it. So, I never, I, like, you, I never want to, like, force somebody or tell, like, you need to do this. Um, I'm not in the business of telling people what they have to do. I'm more so, like, if this is what you're interested in, I'm all for it. And then that's pretty much it. Sure. I personally subscribe to we're never done learning theory. You know, we can always learn from somebody. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Um, so if someone was interested then in reaching out to you um, to find out more about what you offer or to follow you, where should we go? Um, find me. I am on pretty much every social media platform. Uh, Instagram. Facebook, TikTok, whatever. Everything is, t- is Tumble Chef, YouTube, everything. If you want to get a hold of me, however, I think the best ways to do that would be Facebook, Messenger, Instagram Messenger, um, and my email would be a great way to get a hold of me as well, tumblechefinfo at gmail.com. Um, and I'm usually on live. I do a Facebook live. I do Instagram lives. Um, that's also a way that you can catch me as well. So I'm pretty accessible. Um, so, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, well, I really, really appreciate you doing this. I found this really interesting conversation. Um, is there anything you'd like to leave us with before we call it a day? Well, one, thank you for having me. I appreciate that. Two, I believe that we as people can have anything we want in the world when we get rid of the belief 
that we can't. And that goes across the board everything. And I'll leave them with that. Oh, thank you. That's really nice. It's really like such a positive thought process. I really, really appreciate it.